don't treat with a doctor that that tells you no patient should ever. This is the TRT Community Podcast, where we discuss all things testosterone. I'm Brandon, founder of the TRT Community and host of All Things Testosterone. The TRT Community is a Facebook group of patients helping patients navigate the struggles associated with testosterone replacement therapy. We have educational resources at testosteronepodcast.com, including TRT-related clinical studies and a doctor search tool. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. But I thought it was... uh... I thought the Intel analyst would be a good career to get into when you get out of the Marine Corps so you can have a job. Yeah. But when at Intel analyst school, actually this was in Marine Corps combat training when they tried to teach you how to do all the grunt stuff. One of the trainers who was a Fallujah veteran, which was one of the major battles in Iraq, so definitely pulled a lot of respect, he said, oh, you're in intelligence? Are you going to be one of those interrogator guys? I said, no, I don't think so, but what are you talking about? (laughs) And uh, so after that, I just had it in my mind that that was the job I wanted to look at in the intel field. So after going to school for the analyst part, which we did icebreakers, which was the typical, my name is Matt, I'm from Ohio, I had a Ford Mustang, was my first car, it was pretty basic biography stuff. Um, The icebreakers were day one so the icebreakers were not introduce yourself to the group you would go up to the top the front of the class and the instructor would whisper something in your ear you had 30 seconds to think about it then you had to make an argument okay mine was why are you going to be the honor graduate (laughs) and it was day one so it was just the question why are you going to be the best so I argued my case and I, I felt like I did pretty good but I got an easy one some of those guys got why is wearing panties good for running? <laughs> or literally, why are giving blowjobs good for guys to do to increase their fitness? For go- oh, okay. Or yeah, why was Hitler the- a good person? Gotcha. Yeah, that one would have been tough. Been tough. So you had 30 seconds to think about that, and then whatever it was, no matter how much you disagreed with it, you had to argue it. Yeah. So that was the... Are you arguing thing. against a person? You're trying to convince the class of 30 other Marines... To that- let you give them a blowjob. That them giving blowjobs <laughs> yeah, yeah, is yeah. the good thing to do. <laughs> that's, so, that's crazy. But, yeah, that was my most nerve-wracking public speaking experience. So I was, um, I was the kid in high school that would – I wouldn't fail public speaking because I didn't fail anything, but it was my lowest grade. I'd walk away with a C every time um, because I just – I would do everything except give the speech and just couldn't do it and and didn't realize as a teenager that it was anxiety you know that was doing it to me but um terribly anxious college same thing i just i had to take it my junior senior year of high school and then again in college for college credit and oh you had to yeah yeah it was part of my uh, graduation plan or whatever for cuz some kids did it as like a club or something yeah like yeah that. yeah no this was absolutely it's required in texas it's required to graduate high school and it's required in most, I guess, mm. degree plans for college. Okay. And it was rough. Like, I hated it. Um, and that's just something that testosterone has done. I don't care nearly as much anymore, you know, what people think or, uh, you know, the speaking. I could I could do without it, I guess. You know, I, I was saying earlier, I get a little nervous before mm. this type of thing, but I do it. 
you know. Um, and you use that edge as like yeah. a benefit rather yeah. than a blockage. Or even, you know, taking it further, like um, leading people uh, professionally, like in a career. Never thought I would ever do that. I was a claims examiner, long-term disability claims examiner before I started TRT 10 or 12 years ago hmm. and and started it. First thing I did was I re-enrolled in college, uh, went back to school, and then it was like, boom, management, leading people, leading people that are leading people, you know, and it's just <laughs> like, wow, this is what I, you know, I attribute TRT to all of it because I was failing or almost failing public speaking before, so. I mean, I can't tell you, I mean, patients, veterans included that come off SSRIs and anxiety mm-hmm. medications when their hormones are balanced. Yep. So, very cool. Yep. So, uh. I don't know if you, we've been recording for four and a half minutes. Cool. So I, I, I snuck it in there, I think. <laughs> so maybe you feel a little more comfortable. Yeah. Um, tell me about you. So you're Matt. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm talking to Matt today. He's a matrix hormone specialist. I'm here in person. Um, never gotten the opportunity to do this with any of the matrix specialists, but I'm here on a, a semi-unrelated trip. Thought, why not set up the gear, get to sit down, um, and it feels more appropriate in person to get to know you a little bit. So we know you're in the Marine Corps, right? Yes, sir. What, uh, tell me about Matt as a kid. What'd you like to do? Did y'all go camping or fishing or what? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Don't hold that against me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Ohio gets a bad rap these days. Does it? I guess that's why I moved away to Florida. So I can't talk too much, <laughs> but, um, no growing up, I grew up kind of lower middle class in the city, had all kinds of people in my neighborhood. It was diverse. Went to school same way. I I love the way I was raised. I'm very happy. I was exposed to many different types of lifestyles, cultures, and things like that. And then getting into my teen years, there was a lot of disruption in the family, you know, not to get too deep into it, but I had to find my own way. And and that got me kind of, I was a bit counterculture, I think, because of that. What did that look like? You know, I played football for a year. I played the major sports, and and after all, then I wanted to do hockey because nobody else Mm -hmm. was playing hockey. So then I I played roller hockey because we couldn't afford ice. I did ice for a year, which was too expensive, and I did love it. But uh, I was just always looking to do the opposite. I was thinking you were going to go with like a Marilyn Manson, uh, black fingernail counterculture. I dug the rock, but I didn't go with the dress code. No, I like that. Well, I mean, everything from Hard Rock, Corn, Marilyn Manson, Old Metallica, Megadeth. My first two CDs were Megadeth, Hangar 18, and Nirvana, Nevermind. Yeah, okay. I was um, a huge Corn fan. I think Korn. that was my first concert. I liked them, and then they got popular. Yeah. It was that kind of timing. How old are you? 40. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm 39. So right there, it was junior high. Junior high for me was, you know, well, I guess I was like 12, 13. It was when they started getting big. But they released released Life Is Peachy, I think in '94. What was the album cover of that one? The oh gosh, the cartoon girl on the cliff, or was no, it that like was Swing, the Swing. Yeah, That's the cartoon girl on the cliff was like two or three or maybe even four. I was in high school by that time, but I'd write it on my backpack. You know, corn all over the place. A yep. Huge corn, cornhead. Adidas, Adidas yeah. pants, jumpsuits. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> Definitely better than Limp Biscuit. Oh, yeah. I, I liked them, too, but definitely <laughs> definitely better. Um, no, yeah, I got into the counterculture. And after all that, 
you know, you call yourself counterculture, but you're still in a culture. But after all that, I, I wanted to get into protecting myself. So I got into, I, my friend in 10th grade gave me the Tao of Yeet Kundo by Bruce Lee. And I got into all that, finding out there's no real teachers of Yeet Kundo and Wing Chun where I lived. Yeah. But I found uh, a teacher who I was actually Jet Li's teacher in the Beijing Wushu team and trained with him for years. Nice. Uh, got injured and ended up going over to more of the Japanese styles because they're all standing, very natural stances. So I started with Kendo, which is fencing. And then my teacher there had a pretty impressive lineage too, Kataka Sensei, and he was a judo teacher too. So we worked on grappling, Aiki, Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, and Kendo. And then he literally went insane and me and my friend uh, were his top students, so we moved to Florida to open up a school that really? never materialized just yeah. because when, I mean, we were more athletic, but we were into these, you know, nerdy pursuits, let's say. The people who were attracted to it were not the athletic type, yeah. so we were kind of disenfranchised with uh, what it had become, and, and I kind of got pissed off looking at what it was. Which is why I joined the Marine Corps. It's what, like, what do you mean pissed off? What happened? Well, people want to do the thing, but they don't do it for the right reasons, in my opinion. Okay. Impure reasons. Yeah. They want it easy, but they want a title kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Where, for example, Kataka Sensei, the way that they trained was there was no testing. So... And there's no, in Japanese styles, they have Q ranks, first Q, second Q, all the way up to Shodan, which is first degree black belt. So there was none of that. So there's no assurance of your progression to keep you hanging on, which is like perfect for the American mentality of level up, keep paying me, you get the belt. For him, he didn't carry, he was like a nuclear physicist for the Navy, uh, or a contractor, Kataka Sensei was. So super smart guy. He didn't care about the money. He had it. He just wanted to train. Yeah. So his philosophy was, you train all the time. He lived like a walk away from me. So I would go over to his garage, and we'd be going at it for three hours in the heat of Ohio in the summer, and he would keep the garage door closed because he didn't want neighbors to see. And he was uh, 75, and I remember one time I made the mistake of saying, because I was tired, <laughs> I said, Kataka Sensei, should we take a break? And he made me go home and didn't talk to me for about a week because <laughs> he said, simply, never imply that I'm tired because you are and you're weak. You know, that kind of mentality. He wouldn't yeah. take help with bags. I told him, God bless you once. He said, I don't need your white Anglo-Saxon Protestant superstitions. <laughs> you know, he's a very, very interesting guy. But the way that he did things that I loved and uh, motivated me to actually join the Marine Corps was the test was how you trained every day. And one day, after about three years, he came into a certain class and handed me a certificate and said, you're a showdown now. Nice. And if you slack, I'll take that right away. Or if you get beat by someone lower than you, they get your rank, this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it motivated you to do the real thing for the real reasons for the long term, mm -hmm. uh, which motivated me to join the Marine Corps, which, happy or funny enough, I never practiced again after joining the Marine Corps because I didn't have time or anywhere to do it. But yeah. I wanted to say, well, if you're going to be a warrior, try, try the actual thing. Marine Corps seemed like the harder, uh, so that's what inspired me to do it. But nothing's ever what you think it's going to be on the other side. Yeah. <laughs>
But I, I did it. I got a good experience, uh, 11 years total in the Marine Corps. Wow. Reserves for some of it, and well, four years active out of that, including Afghanistan and other deployments. And then after all the deployments had dried up, um, I had my GI Bill, which I had earned. So then I, I went to school, got into fitness through the Marine Corps. I uh, kind of replaced my martial arts practice from when I was a teenager. And uh, since doing martial arts gave me a good awareness of kinesthetic movement, so I was pretty good with technique. Um, so fitness, uh, I got into CrossFit, and through that, Olympic weightlifting was my love. Um, so And technique and everything is so important there and yeah. constant practice. It's all the same as martial arts without with different applications. So getting into fitness kind of brings me to where I am at Matrix. You know, I went to school. I went to University of Tampa for uh, a bachelor in si- bachelor's in science of uh, human performance and exercise physiology. We covered endocrinology, but more in lines with exercise response. Mm-hmm. Uh, after graduating, I coached CrossFit for a few years, and then I ended up, um, because the money was really good, <laughs> working at Orange Theory, although I didn't really uh, jive with the culture necessarily. But when COVID hit, it kind of, you know, you get stuck in a rut yeah. because you're dependent on a paycheck. Mm-hmm. That cut me off and made me rethink things, and uh, I had a little GI Bill left over, so I went back to school for engineering. Uh, again, let's try the next hard thing. That's yeah. always been my mentality. Uh, so mechanical engineering got to statics, which is kind of your first taste of that mechanical engineering portion, and it's a hard science. Everything's been figured out, you know. There's not a whole lot to be done there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and approaching 40, I, I really... I didn't dig that. I, I am more creative. I didn't mention my first college experience was going to art school. You know, I got a scholarship to go to art school to be an illustrator. Really? But they wanted me to do, do more than illustrations. So, I, you know, it, it didn't fit my, yeah. my plans. And the money wouldn't have been that great, honestly. So I dropped out and ended up getting into the military thing. But I need to be creative. Uh, I need to have some critical thinking involved. Not that mechanical engineers don't do that. I'm just saying that. For me, going back to coaching and training people and helping people become better and to have some creativity with doing the programming, teaching technique and uh, catering to the individuals was, uh, was calling me back. So that's what I did. Out of engineering school, I just opened up. I got gym in my garage and started training people there, focusing on weightlifting and got my CSCS, which is the gold standard in strength and conditioning certifications. It's through... Uh, NSCA National Strength and Conditioning Association Mm -hmm. and the CSCS is uh, Strength and Conditioning uh, CSCS Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist Uh. so but it's gold standard because you have to have bachelor's degree and it's a pretty extensive really certification. Yeah. Like for example, on the test, there's two parts. One's more science, one's more technique and uh, practical. Mm-hmm. But on the science, it's a question, you know, it, it talks about needing a lipid base to enter a cell, you know, like you get down to the cellular uh, reactions to physical training. You know, what's the endocrine, res- endocrine response to resistance training? What's the endocrine response to anaerobic training Yeah, or, and aerobic training? So, those kind of things. Uh, and it just so happened as I was finishing up that certification and getting more into the endocrinology, 
I was given the opportunity to come work at Matrix and uh, already had a good base on all that stuff. To do the next hard thing. To do the next hard thing. How are you liking it so far? I love it here. Um, the main thing going through working at different businesses, being in the military, uh, dealing with hard-headed martial art teachers, coaches in hockey, leadership really can make something great or kind of anchor it, you know, if the leadership's culture and mentality isn't isn't in line with what I believe, which yeah. is, you know, if you're a personal trainer, the bottom line is help the client, not make more money even if it costs us a couple clients. Right. And Matrix, the leadership here is that. I mean, yeah. it's about the patient. It's about helping people. And it allows me to be creative. It allows me to kind of tailor the treatment, target the treatment. It's not cookie cutter. Uh, and listen to the patient's specific needs and not worry about what are the KPIs, what are the sales at the end of the month. Yeah. I worry about the effectiveness, the positive messages that come back, the giving people what they actually need so that retention is over a long time and not a revolving door type mentality. Yeah. I think that uh, it, uh, those things, you know, you mentioned KPI, not, not having a lot of that, partially because it's a small company, which is nice, right? Like yeah. to, to not have to deal with that kind of thing. But also um, when I was talking with Sean, he mentioned Warren Buffett and essentially – if you treat your customer properly, you don't have to worry about a lot of that stuff, you know? Yep. And that's what Matrix <laughs> does that, that, that we're really good at. Yeah. Focus on the customer and everything will, uh, if you do it right, come back to you in positive ways. Yeah. Picking up all this, all this noise here. Oh. I tell you what, scoot even closer. Okay. I'm going to turn the noise gate back on. And do you need me to put that headset on? You can tell me. I can um, try with it. I, I mean, you can. You, you, if what you'd be listening for is every now and then you'll kind of cut out from your headphones, and it's just because you are so far away. Um, oh, this is good. Okay, yeah. I can hear that. So I, I turned off your noise gate thinking, see how I just went away like you can't hear me in your headphones anymore? And now I'm back. Mm-hmm. It was kind of doing that. And that's the only, only way we're going to be able to get them out yeah they're gone okay anyway kpis yeah it's nice to be with a, a smaller company where you don't have to worry about that kind of thing and then also not to worry about it because you Honestly, treat your though, patients well brandon one of the previous ones that i came from i would consider smaller too and they still had that mentality so really? yeah you know it's a virtuous thing to do here at matrix you know it it also, in my opinion, it has to do with the quality or the caliber of employee that you seek. Um, I have never hired anyone that had direct experience on, you know, what what we were doing, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. Um, I look for, and I would think it was you that I was talking about yeah. the other day. I look for intelligence. I look for being able to think critically, like you mentioned earlier, and, and just brain you know you can teach uh, teachability you can teach people things if they're teachable i agree yeah you don't have to babysit as much uh. yeah so speaking of teachable let's talk about some of the things that you've been learning uh, with sean and with ken so 
You mentioned this to me as a topic to bring up, and I thought it was a great idea. Most guys just think of TRT, and they're like, okay, testosterone. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that there are other options out there that may increase those levels, that may make them feel better. Go. What do we do? Right. And the uh, key word is testosterone, right? So one of the other options that some guys have, depending on their labs and their profile, and if they can benefit from it, is hormone-releasing therapy. So the end goal is still the same as testosterone replacement therapy, except for kind of take that replacement out and try to produce your own testosterone using HCG and enclomiphene yeah. to uh, boost the signal to your testicles and, and boost your own production. Uh, some guys aren't able, able to do it because essentially the signal is already there and there's not a response. But uh, if, it's, uh, it's, if it's available, I think a lot of guys prefer it, especially if they're brand new to a treatment. Mm -hmm. It's logistically easier because you don't have to inject as much. What you do have to inject is water-based, not oil-based. Yeah. It's a little easier. And then the other uh, treatment or medication that goes with it is a pill. So it is easier logistically. And they probably have a, a slight stigma surrounding testosterone in their brain anyway. So when you mention something that's not called testosterone... That's, you know, ding, ding, ding. Let's try that first. Yeah, that's the number one when somebody calls and you bring it up because they're a candidate for it and they're kind of silent for a second. Well, I wasn't expecting that option. Yeah. You know, well, you I, mean to tell me I'm calling a testosterone clinic and you're not going to give me, you're not recommending testosterone? Everybody else I talked to wanted to do 200 milligrams out of the gate <laughs> with a cookie cutter and estrazole take yeah. home. Yeah. Yeah, so they're they're cut off. And, and I think it's good because a lot of the new patients do their due diligence and do their research, but because they're kind of, their blinders are on for testosterone, they look at the TRT and they don't hear about the other. So they're caught off guard sometimes when that's an option. Yeah. I think it's also important to mention that um, Clomid alone, I know you mentioned in Clomiphene, but mm -hmm. Clomid by itself has kind of a, a reputation of getting the fertility where it needs to be, but maybe not making the patient feel uh, as good as they could. And what you're talking about is not that. What you're talking about is enclomiphene, which sounds similar, but is not, you know, is different. And the HCG, which is usually the missing piece um, to the clomid. So if you did clomid and HCG together, then you're going to get the, f the feel goods from the HCG and the fertility from the clomid. HCG too, but the clomid is... Mm -hmm. a little bit better with the fertility. Um, and that's not what we're, what we're talking about. You're talking about enclomiphene. It's different. Um, and I say that because there are some, there's one clinic right. out there that really just pushes. In fact, I don't even know if they do testosterone at all. It's just like, here's our King protocol. It's enclomiphene only. And that's all they're doing. And guys are, are kind of laughing at it. You know, like this is not, um, not going to make me feel good. I already know that. I don't know what's going on with this mic. Can you hear it cutting in and out? When you're moving a little bit. Yeah, that's weird because my noise gate's way down low, and normally I'm way back here. I'm See, just, but when you move back, if you stayed back, does it adjust? Does it adjust? I don't know. I can't tell. No, I don't no, think so. It's pretty wavy. That's really weird. I think there's something, maybe like an electrical current issue because I've maybe it's a traveling problem. I don't have these issues. Anyway, so um, some of these questions are directly from the TRT community Facebook group that I admin. Um, a lot of guys know that when their hemoglobin and hematocrit get elevated, that donating blood is the answer, but they don't know 
at what level they should be donating. So if you were to put a number to it, if you're looking at your labs and it's 53 to 55, 55 is the cutoff. That's when we're going to tell you, you got to go donate, donate blood or we're not going to be able to continue treatment with you because you're going to run a risk long-term. Yeah. Some guys can hang out there and not feel a thing while others can be around 50, 51, 52 and start to feel that pressure or that thickness of the blood set in, you know, burning eyes, the yeah, headache, the, uh, yeah, so you feel it coming on, you go donate blood based off of feeling, but that cutoff number-wise is is 55. you got to do it. Yeah, and a lot of guys get the symptoms like me. We were just talking earlier. I get the, the burning eyes, the headache, and it almost feels like it's coming from my neck, and then it settles right behind my eyeballs. Um, shortness of breath, that's another one I mm-hmm. get. And, and I've seen it in the Facebook group countless times, and I'm the same way. I could go donate right now gone immediately just feel like a totally different person um is there a do you wait until you see that 53 before you recommend it or is there a number you know 50 would you say go ahead and you know like at that point i would want to be looking at hemoglobin in the panel to make sure that anemia isn't creeping in yeah and that the donations aren't happening too frequently yeah especially for somebody who always has the symptoms and needs to go do it mm-hmm. which you do need to control your hematocrit let's not get that wrong but you don't want to become anemic in the process and have this cycle of i need to donate because i'm thick-blooded yet i'm becoming anemic because i'm donating yeah yeah. And iron isn't something you want to throw in as a supplement willy-nilly because it can become fatal if at too high a dose or it builds up in the body. So you have to run the panel. You have to monitor it with a professional yeah. to see if that's the case. If you do have to donate blood quite a bit and you want to avoid it, you know, we, we do offer some over-the-counter supplements like Leviathan makes a Hemaflow made by bodybuilders to control hematocrit over-the-counter capsule. Uh Costs about fifty bucks a month, I think. So it's it's not the cheapest supplement, but it's an option if donating blood isn't always uh, readily available or isn't something you could do on the regular because that anemia is seeping in. And then to just a good like a whole thirty name brand grape grapefruit juice would help control hematocrit for some. Do you have a recommendation on how much, how often? Yeah, I would just like incorporate that? a glass of morning into your breakfast. You know, a lot of these things is. Uh, Start, see if it helps, add if you need, and you can drink all the grapefruit juice in the world, right? Yeah. It's not like adding <laughs> an AI or something, yeah. but just see if it works. And then, of course, do your due diligence and maintain your hydration, you know, yeah. stick to the basics. I'm, I'm pretty terrible about donating. I, I told you earlier, I've got a pretty legitimate fear. I, I mean, you know, and I, I've calculated it before, and I don't remember how, how many it is, how many times I've stuck myself with, with a syringe, with a needle, right? Mm. Um that's not a, not a huge deal. I don't love it, but that needle in the vein, uh, which when you donate mm-hmm. and it's like, uh, I don't know, uh, as big around as my pinky, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to check out the, the HEMA flow and see if that works. Um, last time I tried to donate, it was, uh, one of those donation buses that sets out, sets up outside of a grocery store, you know, a mm-hmm. Carter bus bus. And they turned me away because, um, I guess it was, what are they? pinprick measure hemoglobin yeah hemoglobin gets above 18 yeah something like you that you may need a prescription to do it and i had one 
but they wouldn't do it on the bus. They said I needed to schedule an appointment. So with the then facility. it becomes even harder for you yeah. when you don't and, want to do it in the first place. Right. And when they're making it a hurdle, I'm like, I can't do it. And honestly, I've been turned away a few times before, but always because of my heart rate. Because I get in that damn bus and I know that that pinky sized needle is coming. And, and then what they'll do is then they pinprick you, which gets my heart rate going even more. So when I go now, I always say, can you go ahead and, and take my blood pressure and, and my heart rate before you cut me with your sword? Uh, because that's going to disqualify me. Same thing with blood pressure, right? Like oftentimes in the doctor's office, mm-hmm. it's going to be elevated because, well, one, you got to sit there for five minutes with your feet flat, calm, relaxed before you do it accurately. Yeah. Or you're already an- anxious going into the doctor's office, right? Yep. So, yeah. They should, they should like post up, there should be like a, a Megatron or a TV that's flashing, you know, you're not going to have injections today if you're a kid or, you know, you're yeah. scared of them. You're not going to have a rectal exam or you are like, <laughs> like, let me know so that I can control my emotions before you come in and tell me I have high blood yeah, pressure. It's normal for you, doc. I understand you do this all the time, but come on, man, have yeah. a little empathy here. <laughs> uh, what about, so I had a patient ask the other day if there were HCG options other than injections that are as beneficial as the injections not at the time and you know coming from uh info leadership at matrix uh the history of that is the hcg shortage or really controversy happened when it was being used for dietary reasons and people were cutting their calorie count down to 400 to 800 calories a day and the uh yeah it's not good Mm -hmm. because essentially the hcg acts like luteinizing hormone and it does interact with other tissues and adrenal uh, and other endocrine systems as well, like adrenal system and thyroid system. So it's kind of fooling your body to say everything's okay when you're on this huge calorie deficit when it's not. Yeah. So of course that was a no go and, and it, a lot of things, it went away for a while. And one of those things that went away with it was the oral. Yeah. And then when it came back, it's no longer available. So the, um, the or diet fad got, uh, Got FDA attention. FDA shut down a lot of, made it more difficult to manufacture HCG. And then, yeah, the, the trochee or the troke just never really came back. Never came back. Um, something I've noticed over the years, switching gears, um, TRT becomes more mainstream. More medications and protocols are, are normalized. Whenever I first got into the game, um, if you were on... 200 milligrams a week it was iffy if you were anything 201 milligrams a week and it was a cycle despite the definition of cycle not being met like guys just scream that's a steroid cycle well it's not a cycle because i'm on it all the time right Mm -hmm. um at one point um things like oxandrolone uh no way couldn't you weren't you weren't getting that from a clinic if you were then you were a steroid abuser but now think you know oxandrolone anavar all all of it is is more common um what do you think these are all well oxandrolone and nandrolone they're they're medications that were made for a purpose you know to prevent muscle wasting they have virtuous origins but if abused of course they're going to cause some problems what we use them for are more of those therapeutic reasons. DECA, for example, nandrolone is good for joint pain, increasing synovial joint fluid and uh, giving you that relief at a low therapeutic dose. It's nothing near what they would have done back in the golden days of Muscle Beach. The uh, nandrolone 
on the uh, or oxandrolone, excuse me, Anavar. Of course, it has its bodybuilder effects as a muscle hardener, increased vascularity, the aesthetic look, if your body fat percentage is already low. But for us, it's great for increasing free testosterone. So if you are on treatment, yet your free is really low, you're not going to reap the benefits because it's not available to use. We would always start with something a little weaker and cheaper for you, uh, you know, if, and especially if it's on the line. For example, boron can help increase free testosterone, and it works for plenty of guys. But if that's not working, we have Danazole as well, which is a prescription strength, which is non-liver toxic. So that's an option. But if that also isn't uh, effective, then you have the oxandrolone, which is a, a steroid, but at a low dose, it will increase the free testosterone. So that's the main reason we use it. Do you know much about the pharmacokinetics of the Danazole? And cut the, okay. I was wondering if it because the boron I think squashes the SHBG right, and that's what frees up the free. I had understood it as it prevents the binding. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. the yep. The main thing with the Danazol that I can say is the molecule that it's based off of is non liver toxic. Yeah. Uh, the Nor Nineteens. Uh, I'm getting out of scope there yeah but I'll it just, is a non-liver toxic option i'll cut all that i won't make you look okay. like <laughs> <laughs> um so in my facebook group guys really get in their head and they they put all these obstacles in front of them things that you know may seem silly like where's the best place to inject or mm-hmm. what size needle should I use? Or um, you said one earlier, I can't remember what it was, but it was another perfect, Oh, I am or sub Q. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always want to just say, who gives a shit? Just stick the needle in your body. Just do it. You know, if I'm injecting uh, 66 milligrams a week, how do I split that into, or that's a, uh, yeah. Well, HCG timing. Yeah, HCG timing, that kind of stuff. So, what do you what do you tell them if if you inject? What do you do with HCG? When should I inject it relative to my T injections? Okay, so for like the HCG timing in particular, whenever works, whatever will keep you consistent. Yeah. So you know, with the testosterone therapy, we we do microdosing, which is all about being consistent. It is therapeutic, like you said. It's not a cycle. We want your levels to be consistent, like you were making it yourself. Yeah. Fooling your body in that way. So when it comes to doing things that enhance the protocol like HCG or, and have their own sub-goals, the most important thing is to be consistent. So if the morning is when you do it and you can do it without forgetting and you could do it on time, every time, that's when you should do it. Yeah. Now, I've had, uh, not with that timing in particular, but let's say the IM and sub-Q, some guys will say, look, I've read that... Uh, subcutaneous trumps intermuscular it was here in this article it was even a little journal made about it peer-reviewed by god knows who yeah but the just through practical experience we know both work both will get the testosterone into your system and most likely if people are out there and they want to make a niche for themselves they're going to tell you that they have the specific answer because they want your business they want your money and they want you to make make you feel special like they know it all yeah but no, a lot of it is is uh, 
there are options that go one way or the other. Both work, but it depends on the individual. And that's where Matrix, without that cookie-cutter man- mentality, can get into the weeds. And, and we, have the, uh, we have the flexibility to let you try both and see what you prefer. Yeah. Both do work. You know, so many guys get just so bent out of shape. Um, maybe they're an IM guy, and they're like, sub-Q is ridiculous or whatever, and they've never tried it. It's so patient specific. Everything is so patient patient specific. I just uh, I told you about that post that I made, and it, it's like I don't treat with a doctor that that tells you no patient should ever anything. Yeah, it, or this is the only yeah, way, yeah. and it will always be that way. It's just not true. Like I don't. I I would tell a guy, man, the pellet's usually not the best idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I would tell a guy. A lot of guys have more success with injections over compounded cream. Many guys love the compounded cream. Some guys do both. Mm-hmm. But I would never say pellets don't have a place in this world, period. Um, somebody that works in the oil field that's offshore. For whatever reason, a lot of those guys can't or don't want to do injections. If you got to do or can't take them with them, I guess. If you got to do pellets, do pellets. Uh, females pellets tend to work a little bit better than they do in the male. Like everything's got its place, right? And in yes. AI, I used an AI in my earlier years as like, uh, okay, let me reset and then try this. You know, manipulating the protocol, not something that I I wanted to. I would use it as a crutch. Just get me back to where I need to be, and then I'll try something different because it works quickly. You know, you can reset mm-hmm. really fast. Mm-hmm. But these doctors that are just like, no, never, blah blah blah. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of we take everything that is credible and we have a, a, a range of options, and you as the patient have to take some responsibility and yeah. try them Yeah, because you should never take what someone says on the Internet, including me, and believe me based off of credentials. I mean, that's a, an argument fallacy. If someone leads an argument by their credentials, yeah. I wouldn't listen to them in the first place. Right. You need to collect the information, sort it, and use it in your life, mm-hmm. and you tell yourself, did it work? Right. Get labs if you need to. A lot of these things, you would, you don't you don't have to get labs to prove whether or not they're efficient for you. Experience. Yeah. <laughs> you know how many guys I've had argue with me that you can't inject testosterone with a 28, 30, 31-gauge syringe, and I'm like, bruh. I've been doing it heck for a, years. Heck of a time to draw it, but it can be done. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I do the switchable tips, you know, so mm-hmm. it's like you know, mm-hmm. 22 gauge to draw. And then, and it, they're like, you can't do that or um, you can't reach the muscle. Well, I can, I can use a 27 gauge, you know, three quarter inch or a half inch probably in my delt would do the trick. It's like, I, I can. And you said it. Have you tried? Right. Well, my guy I went through said no, and I've just been running with that stigma ever since I talked to him. And that's what I've been fighting, all those stigmas for years, fighting those stigmas that, you know, sub-Q is better than this or this is better than that, and it's like just just get out and do it. When somebody emails me and says, hey, uh, what's the best place to inject wherever you're going to stick the needle? Yep, and be consistent. Yeah, just do it. Um. Penile sensitivity issues. So a lot of guys talk about that and or delayed ejaculation. What do you recommend for that? Well, we'll go back to HCG. I know uh, a lot of times guys call and they'll just say, I'm aware of the HCG. I signed the consent, but I don't need it. I'm not worried about having kids. Yep. 
Well, yes, that is the primary reason. But secondary reason, maintain testicular function, size, avoid aching through atrophy. Yep. Third reason. Now, it is subjective, and you can't guarantee results because everybody's different. Here we go with that again. But uh, a lot of guys report better, better mental feeling and better erection quality yep. on HCG. I've even seen guys talk about the orgasm intensity is better on HCG mm-hmm. and the ejaculate volume is better. And for whatever reason, that, that bothers guys. They get on TRT. They lose yeah. a little bit of that uh, volume. HCG can and I guess has anecdotally done yeah. wonders. I get that a lot. If yep. that decreases, how can I increase it? Yep. And adding HCG not already there, definitely worth a try. Syringes, how do we get rid of them? Needles, uh, I guess, specifically. I think, uh, and you said this too uh, before we started, is uh, the overthinking uh, seeps in and, and you start to second-guess yourself. Find something that is stable like a old milk jug or a, better yet, a laundry detergent, nice and thick. Yep. Use it, put that used syringe in it, seal it up well. Maybe tape it up if you're paranoid, you know, put, yeah. a, put a label on it and throw it away. That's what I do. Right now I've got uh, Sharps container that I'm using, but before then it was always a laundry detergent, and I would, you know, I, I recap the needle, toss it in there, boom, done. Done. Except this one time, a company <laughs> sent me some sort of contraption. It was actually pretty cool. It was like <clears> a, it almost looked like a, like a spaceship fingernail clipper thing. And you could stick the the needle into it and then clip it, and it would cut the needle off, and it stored the in the thing. Yeah, in the thing, and then you just throw that in the trash, and then you throw the rest of it away because all it is at that point is a syringe with no needle. So they sent that to you with the syringe? No, no, no. It was just like, hey, try this product. Like from the podcast and stuff, somebody was like, hey, try this product. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty cool, but you could only get like, I don't even, I think it would do a 27-gauge but it would struggle with that and then anything bigger. Oh, that was getting too thick for it? Yeah, yeah. And two, do we need to make more crap? (laughs) Right. Use the crap you have at home to put your other crap in. Don't buy more crap to put the crap in. Yeah, somebody also (laughs) sent me uh, a pill cutter back in the day because it was, you know, nobody made the .25 anastrozole or anything like that. It was all one milligram or at least from the local pharmacies. Uh, And they, they, like, it's like, Billet, steel, aluminum, beautiful looking. But we'll be here after you're gone. <laughs> yeah, it's like a three-pound pill cutter. <laughs> yeah, they sent that to me to try, too, and I thought it was really cool, but unnecessary. A weapon, brass knuckles, <laughs> um, a handful of quarters. This last one's a little philosophical. Um, every once in a while, I'll see a husband or usually a wife that'll post in the group, and they'll say, you know, my husband had an affair, Um I'm blaming testosterone, and and they'll just straight up ask, does TRT make you want to cheat on your wife? What do you think about that? I think that uh, your reality is what your mind is in the first place. So TRT, if you put it into someone who's really good, probably will amplify those good qualities. Someone who is already having loyalty issues, temptation issues, it's going to magnify their libido. And it's yeah. going to make it harder for them to fight that urge if they are already like that. Yeah. But it is it, it can be an amplifier, but it is not the determining factor. The person is. What's the um, causation versus correlation? An argument like that, like it's not causing it, but maybe it's correlated with it. You know, it, it amplifies it. 
If you were raised in a way that said those things were okay and you've gotten away with it, but yet your testosterone's dropped off, so the libido isn't even there to be cheating with in the first place, but then you bring it back and your old habits return with that urge, it's just like a, yeah. any, any addiction. Well, I thought we were going to riff on that for a few minutes, but you answered it so perfectly that I got nothing else. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the TRT Community Podcast. You can find us online at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash TRT community. 